Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Interdimensional CrossRip Podcast. We've got a really excellent show coming up for you. We have Jordan Monsell. He's the author of Ministers of Grace, the unauthorized parody of Ghostbusters. Going to get a little Shakespearean up here again here in the podcast. We're going to talk to him about uh, adapting Ghostbusters into a stage play, adapting the language to Shakespeare, talking a little bit about the, the nuances to his script. It's going to be a fun one. Stay tuned. Toys.net presents the Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So great. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key? Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. Don't look at me. I think these people are completely nuts. All right. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Crossroad. We have a really exciting episode lined up for you this week. Uh, this has been long in the making. He's been very gracious to deal with all of our uh, shifting schedules and, uh, and, and just such a patient guy. And we've wanted to have him on the show for, for quite a while now. We are joined here on the Crossroad by Jordan Monsell, the author of Ministers of Grace, the unauthorized Shakespearean parody of Ghostbusters, available on Amazon and Kindle now. Uh, Jordan, how's it going? going well how are you good good did i butcher your name is it monzel i, I realized i should have asked you before we started recording uh monzel you monzel right the first time yeah okay excellent oh, yeah. man it's all I, as many people will probably tell you i'm terrible with names on this uh here podcast but uh so right. thanks thanks again for uh for being patient with us and and we're so glad to have you here on the show uh it's good to be on Excellent, excellent. So let's um, let's start. Just tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I understand you're you're an illustrator by primary trade, or what? Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and some of the projects that you've worked on? Sure, absolutely. Um, my background, I, I guess, is is in visual art and performing art. I went to school for theater, uh, University of Connecticut, um, but. Uh, illustration and painting runs in my family. My mother is an artist, uh, and I certainly learned a lot from her. And so, I, just growing up, I was always kind of juggling um, several balls in the air, so to speak. Um, uh, one of my neighbors in back in Connecticut was Seth MacFarlane. Oh, really? And, uh, and he seemed to also kind of do it all. <laughs> and uh, so he was kind of uh, uh, inspiration because you know we did community theater together, but he was also drawing cartoons for the local newspaper sure, yeah. and this was a you know this was a small like one traffic light town in northwest connecticut so um he's probably the most famous resident to come out of kent um and uh but we kind of uh we kind of branched off into two different directions because seth, seth went to um the rhode island school of design to pursue animation and i was kind of a, a theater geek and uh and studied shakespeare uh, among other things, and uh-huh. yeah, so I came out to came out to LA back in 2005, um, where I pretty much worked as uh, a storyboard artist and concept artist. And for the last couple of years, I've been doing um, like these pop culture silhouettes that I cut out of paper, and and I kind of tour around and do the the different comic book conventions where you know have a table and sell basically uh silhouettes of everyone's favorite character <laughs> oh that's cool i think i've seen yeah i think now i've, I've probably passed you at a couple of conventions they're like the 
the the silhouettes, uh, you know, like uh, 19, uh, early teens, 20s, those those mm-hmm. kind of silhouettes that you would do of your family, those portraits? Yeah, yeah. If you ever uh, go to Disneyland or Disney World, uh, there's a silhouette shop right there on Main Street, USA. Right. That's where I first had mine done when I was probably about five years old. And... Um, but I kind of wanted to take it in into a different direction because, you know, a lot of silhouette artists are primarily working weddings and, and, and birthdays and, and cutting real people. That sounds really, really bad. <laughs> cutting real people. people. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, which I, I, I do those events as well. Um, but, you know, I love, I love comic books and movies and video sure. games, so I wanted to do uh, those characters as well. Um, so, so it's been kind of an adventure, and then, uh, and then of course with the book um, that I uh, that was just published, I, I'm taking that to the conventions as well. So I was in Artist Alley, and now I'm kind of like in the small press <laughs> section. Right. Yeah, I was going to say the the puzzle pieces are coming together here. Theater geek, uh, illustrator with a pop culture knowledge, uh, mm-hmm. uh, c- coming out here and doing storyboards, and makes makes a whole lot of sense as to why a Ghostbusters Shakespearean parody was. Uh, was next on your project list but uh so when you say you're a storyboard artist are you working in animation then did you end up uh circling around and and doing storyboards for animation or are you working in film or what's what's that for um well most recently uh i've been doing some storyboards for kind of like a video game uh pitch or commercial oh nice so yeah so i've done i've done some live action films and some commercials uh i would love to get into animation um it's kind of a tough nut to crack but um and i I do voiceovers as well so um yeah i to to answer your question like yeah i'm definitely tried would love to work for a company like this or cartoon network but I was going to say, I mean, I didn't want to put you on the spot, but you did mention that you do voiceovers. I found uh, you do quite a bit of, of impersonations as well. There's a, a great YouTube video that you've got out there where you do, I don't know, 20, 30 different voices. You do a pretty mean gold bloom, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much uh, for saying so. Uh, oops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, you know what I should do is I should go down and see his, his jazz concert. Uh, yes. Which I guess he does like almost every week uh, on North Vermont, I think. Yeah, and he does. It's where everybody has these great photos from because he does. He's got like a jazz trio or something that he plays yeah. with, and then he yeah. stays. He graciously takes photos with everybody that's there. And if you want to meet him, uh, amazing. Uh, you know, Gold Goldblum is everywhere. He's at a. He was like in an Australian food truck handing out food, I, and I saw know. that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that's awesome. So okay, so. I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is how did the Shakespearean adaptations come about? But it makes sense. You you are a connoisseur of Shakespeare to begin with. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it seems natural that you want to do these. Well, help me out. Do you, So you call them a parody for obvious reasons, but would you consider this an adaptation, a translation? How do you sort of look at what you do for, for these uh, films? Yeah, I guess uh, all of the above. I've always been a fan of mashups, you know, whether it's a, a DJ combining songs or you know, like a Pac-Man Ghostbusters shirt. Um, I've always been tickled by them, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess uh, there's a lot of different lingo that you could use. Is it yeah. is it parody? Is it a derivative? Is it, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's really all of the above. Uh, it's basically just an interpretation, really. It's uh, it's taking the original story and and uh, and making it fresh, but at the same time, 
you know, bringing it back into the past, you know, what what if William Shakespeare yeah. had done uh, Ghostbusters? What would what would that have been like? So, um, you know, it, there's there's no terms like proton pack and things like that because those terms, you know, a lot of the scientific lingo in the film did not exist. Yeah. Uh, in the uh, in the late 1500s, early 1600s, I mean, even even the word scientist uh, wasn't used uh, uh, by Shakespeare. I mean, it was things like uh, alchemy and philosophy, like the philosopher's stone. Uh, so, so that part of it, uh, writing writing it or adapting it rather, uh, was uh, was a lot of fun. It's uh, just kind of going down the rabbit hole of uh, of history. So, so I liked it because it's you're almost also translating it into another language that's that's why i, I kind of it's an adaptation but you are having to put it into the shakespearean prose and and the old english and mm-hmm. and uh, like you were saying things like proton packs well what would a proton pack be called in in uh, shakespearean uh, vernacular mm, a box of rough mat call it <laughs> <laughs> a box um, of of rough mat what did you say rough matter yeah oh my yeah. god yeah, there's uh, there's there's lines and and uh, and words from just about uh, every Shakespeare play in this book, including some sonnets. Um, but it took a it took a good six months to to translate the entire uh, 1984 script. Um, huh. So well, where so well before we get into that, uh, this this was not your first Shakespearean adaptation, right? Didn't you you did one prior to Ghostbusters? Yeah, yeah, I uh, I co-wrote Pulp Shakespeare. Uh, which was, um, you know, Pulp Fiction, uh, rewritten um, in, in the language of Shakespeare, and uh, we did a production. I directed a, a full-scale production of that here in Los Angeles at the 2011 Hollywood Fringe Festival, and um, it got some pretty good reviews. So we took it to New York in 2012, and uh, and then we did a, a stage reading of Ministers of Grace at the Fringe Festival in 2014. Um, and it was kind of like a one night only thing. Oh. Um, yeah. So you originally yeah. wrote it as a, a script to be performed by the, the live crew then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think with any Shakespeare play, it really helps to, to read it aloud and to see it performed. I think when, when kids are first, uh, introduced to Shakespeare in school, you know, a lot of them aren't really content with it because they're just reading it, uh, out loud in class. Uh, and it's not really until they go on a field trip, let's say, and they see a professional uh, production of Romeo and Juliet or Julius Caesar that they really start to understand it. And that's one reason why I wanted to write these um, is is to take people that uh, are intimidated maybe by the language of Shakespeare because it is almost like a foreign language to so many people and to introduce it to them in kind of uh, in a way that they would understand like because uh, so many people are so familiar with with Ghostbusters and Pulp Fiction and of course you know Star Wars Ian Dosher wrote the Shakespearean Star Wars so they already know the, the characters they know the plot they know what happens they know the the lines and some of the best compliments I got after productions of Pulp Shakespeare is when people came up to me and they said I could understand it <laughs> <laughs> I knew what was going on <laughs> and and it's it's like a gateway drug like if then they go and they see your production of Hamlet or they go and pick up a a, a copy of uh, Twelfth Night then then I've done my job oh how funny I mean that makes sense that you're making it more accessible for people that they know Pulp Fiction inside and out. They know Ghostbusters inside and out. Uh, so yeah. now they can sort of follow along to the 
iambic pentameter and they understand the the vernacular and the the language and oh, yeah, that, yeah. that makes so much sense. It had to be it had to be uh, a story that is is so quotable. Um, so some of the other ones that were uh, that I were that what I was considering was uh, the Wizard of Oz. Of course, is very quotable, uh, and I still might do that next. Um, and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But Ghostbusters has always been you know one of my all time favorite films, and I was in a Ghostbusters club when I was in third grade, and uh, so it just it made the most sense. Uh, plus. It, <laughs> The Bard wrote a uh, included ghosts in about six of his plays. Uh, they were very important characters, and um, you know the supernatural uh, uh, was something that uh, was very tangible back then. A lot of people, um, a lot of people believed in the afterlife, uh, and people still do. And I think it's probably about fifty percent of Americans, maybe thirty uh, percent, still believe in ghosts. Yeah, but, I, and it only makes sense he would appreciate. Uh, those that would go out and bust those ghosts or at least try to contain them or trap them or, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, so, yeah. Yeah. so, okay. So you mentioned you, you sat with the, the screenplay, but with Ghostbusters, there isn't a, a proper screenplay because of all of the, the ad libbing and all of the improv that was done. So how, wh- where did you start? What, what was your source material? Did you sit with the movie and, and scribble down notes and then start that translation? How did you go about doing that? You know, I, I did find uh, a script online that was pretty word for word from from the film that included all of Bill Murray's ad libs and everything. Um, so I pretty much just jumped on, uh, used that as a as a jumping off point. Uh, and then there were some very helpful uh, Shakespearean websites online. Um, one of them is called Shakespeare's Words, where if you type in a, a word, it'll tell you if if Shakespeare used it, you know, like I mentioned, scientist, <laughs> right? Um, and it, and it was like fa- it was really fascinating because he even used the word exorcist in one of his plays, but it meant something totally different from, you know, the the film The Exorcist. So, right. Um, that definition in when Shakespeare used it was someone who was actually called up spirits. Oh, interesting. Right, as opposed to. Getting rid of somebody demonic. banishing them, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to like just set, you know, say like take Star Wars and set it in space, but just change the language. You know, I wanted it to be actually set in London. You know, at the time of of uh, James the First or or the very last years of Queen Elizabeth the First. Yeah. Um, so you know the Ecto One is now uh, a horse-drawn carriage, um, and they're not in a firehouse; they're more like in a barn, <laughs> um, and just uh, you know all the food has been changed, of course. Right, right. What what were some of the other things that you had to change? Because I do like where you sort of where you do deviate from what we've seen in the script, or you have to fill in some transitions, or uh, maybe maybe give the audience a little more exposition because you don't have. The, the luxury of either the film or the technology or, or something uh, in your toolbox. Uh, what else did you kind of have to make up and create on your own to, to complete the script? Well, you know, a lot of the answers were, uh, were in Shakespeare's um, 30 plus plays. Um, the way he uh, did approach, say a character of a ghost entering and exiting uh, in the original uh 
version that we did a stage reading of back in 2014, I did not have Slimer speak at all. So it was like uh, the film in that respect. Right. He, he makes he makes noises, of course, uh, disgusting sounds. Um, but then a, a friend who came to see it, he said, "Oh, wouldn't it be hilarious if uh, if Slimer had a soliloquy?" And you know, uh, you take the ghost of Banquo from from Macbeth. And he doesn't speak at all. He's just there to scare the crap out of Macbeth and make him look crazy in front of his guests, his dinner guests. But on the flip side, you have the ghost of Hamlet's father, and he doesn't shut up. Like He is the inciting incident of that play, and he has a lot to get off his chest, and he wants his son to listen to this whole story. And so I kind of went in that direction i i gave slimer a speech because a lot of people a lot of ghostbusters fans have always speculated as to uh what slimer's backstory was like who was he in life um so in in uh in the soliloquy i wrote i uh i just made him basically a glutton that was there at the hotel and that um you know basically ate himself to death or choked on on food that he was eating uh, and in kind of an inside joke i call him sir john belushi because uh um, you probably know the reason why um, Belushi was originally supposed to play Venkman and um, and unfortunately passed, and uh, and then they called him uh, they called the the puppet Slimer yeah. Belushi Udo because he was very much like his character from Animal House. Well, Andy finally gets a voice uh, within your script, which I, I I loved, and that's I'm I'm so glad you brought it up because I know that was one of Chris's favorite uh, parts as well was. Oh, you'll never believe how he treats Slimer. You actually get to hear him speak, and he has this wonderful soliloquy that he talks about. And um, yeah, that's uh, what. What other were there any other gaps or or things like that that you uh, were able to take a little bit of creative license? Uh, yeah, so I think one of one of the only scenes I I did not include in the book is, uh, as you know, the film starts with uh, our librarian um, being scared. But there's no lines. There's no lines at all. Right. So I could have written a scene, I suppose, of her speaking to the audience of, you know, tiptoeing through the the, the dusty uh, aisles of uh, of this Cambridge library or something like that. Um, but I just decided to let's just start, you know, with with Venkman, you know, at the university sitting down with the two students and doing the ESP test. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when I was writing it, I was looking I was thinking of it as a stage play um, because I you know, would love to do it. And, and I've already been approached by about four different uh, theaters uh, scattered across. Well, one of them is in England and the other three are on the East Coast. Um, and if they want to do it, you know, by all means, because I, I personally think that it would, <laughs> it would cost quite a lot of money, at least to do good. <laughs> I mean, I, I just spent... $300 on a beautiful, I mean, he did a fantastic job with it. A Hollywood prop maker friend of mine built me an Elizabethan proton pack, um, which I wore for a little bit at San Diego Comic-Con. Oh, um, man, I'm sure, was it heavy? I'm sure it had to have been a, li yeah. a little cumbersome at San Diego. A little cumbersome. But, I mean, so there's there's a crossbow, and, you know, it's for the, uh, for the proton wand, and... Uh, um, but it has moving parts and everything, and the, the trap is, is basically like a little treasure chest that would have a light you know, glowing from it. Um, but, I mean, so that's $300 right there. And, of course, you would need four proton packs and, you know, all the ghost puppets and, uh, you know, at least a giant marshmallow hand, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if not a face. Um, 
but yeah, so I was I was looking at it from from that standpoint, like where where would the characters exit? Where would they come on from? How would this be done uh, if it was really done on stage? Um, and you know, how how would you make that work? Yeah, uh, and that was that was kind of the fun of it, really. I mean, there's uh, you know, when when Lewis is being uh, pursued by uh, by the terror dog, and he's running across Central Park West, and he runs into uh, uh, Central Park. Uh, there's a line from um, "As You Like It," where uh, he uh, there's a character being pursued by a bear, and in the in the notes it says per, "runs pursued by bear." So basically, I just changed bear to dog. <laughs> so there's like little things like that that uh, made it uh, made it enjoyable to to to, uh, to translate. Yeah, that's uh, one of the scenes that Chris and I really enjoyed. And we actually, we uh, did a few lines of it on the show here, oh boy, about a month, month and a half ago was oh, yeah. uh, in in the original film, it's them uh, at Columbia talking about, you know, uh, being kicked out of the university and you've never been to the private sector. They expect results. And mm-hmm. just the, that dialogue just seemed so perfect for what you were doing that here you have these two characters that are talking to each other. They're talking about their futures. They're talking about uh, you, you, it's basically setting up the entirety of the movie. And, but as you, even as Chris and I were saying the words, you realize this, this really, it, this is Shakespeare. This is, you know, a lot of people use it as a euphemism to, Oh, that, that script was so good. I mean, it could have been Shakespeare, it, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, the source material that you were working from really mm-hmm. lent itself to what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think Pulp Fiction is, a is, is another, uh, film which just lends itself so well to that to that adaptation because i mean there there are there are scenes in in shakespeare where the stage is littered with bodies <laughs> you know? and in pulp fiction you have that yeah you know and and you have it's so dialogue driven you know tarantino just loves two people you know in a room in a diner talking and so there's there's not a lot of crazy shots, you know, six second shots or, or, or action sequences. Um, and in, and in Ghostbusters, yeah, there were, there are some scenes like when they're catching, catching Slimer where the lines are very brief back and forth. Um, so that was probably the hardest part because you, you want to kind of stretch it out and, and, and turn it into, well, at least, at least not, if not iambic pentameter, something that maybe rhymes, um, as opposed to I lay the trap, <laughs> um, but yeah. So I mean, when they're when the guys are, are at the university or talking, or when they're just like you know sitting in the firehouse talking, um, those are the best ones. And especially the relationship between between Janine and Egon, or Dana and Peter. Uh, Dana and Peter, especially, it's very much like um, like Beatrice and, and Benedict, and all their all their witty banter back and forth from Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, um, yeah, was an inspiration for that. Well, and, and, you know, much like a movie like Caddyshack or you mentioned The Wizard of Oz, you know, being that Ghostbusters is so quotable, you have all of these one, these snappy one-liners that everybody, even if you're just a casual Ghostbusters fan, you probably know at least one or two of them. Uh, were there any of them that in your adaptation, you know, as you're sitting there trying to craft the sentence and you're like, oh man, I got to figure out a way to, I got to, this, this, everybody knows this line and oh that's it and then were you was was there one that you were especially proud of what you were able to do with oh that's a good question well the one that was uh that i had trouble with i'm trying to find it here um 
is uh, is at the end where Peter says it's Miller time, and I must have rewritten that like twelve times because <laughs> there's a there's a there's a story in the Canterbury Tales called the Miller's Tale, and so I was kind of originally going going with that, but I I I was concerned that people maybe wouldn't get it, and it's also not Shakespeare; it's Chaucer. Yeah. So um, so Ray is thinking of. Or he's trying to clear his head, but he thinks of the the everlasting puffed man of custard, <laughs> and uh, and Peter says to bedlam with him, for he has grown mad. You know, like Ray's gone by that. <clears throat> and then one that got a big laugh when we did the reading was, um, let me see if I can find that one, uh, is when they when they do the the test, uh, the successful test, <laughs> and they accidentally um, blast the uh, the the maiden in the inn. Or her cart. <laughs> oh my God, that's a bookmark well, ahead of time. And I'm thinking, so if you if you did this as a, a staged show, it's almost like having a test audience. So did you when things did things not land that you then went back and you rewrote before the the published version of the book, or were there things that you were like, oh my God, I wish I could rewrite that and and did was was it sort of like a a malleable manuscript that you were changing? Yes, yeah, somewhat. I mean, we did. We did uh, film that uh, that stage reading, so I could um, so I could go back and watch and see where the laughs were and where they weren't. Um, but I think a big part of the joke, at least when we did um, the full version of Pulp Shakespeare, is when the lights came up on every scene, the audience would start laughing, seeing these characters dressed in Elizabethan clothing, right? Yeah. Um, and when we did the, the stage reading, it, you know, it's kind of boring because we're just standing on stage behind uh, music stands and we're just all dressed in, in black modern clothing. So there, there was no Slimer puppet and there was no Elizabethan proton packs and, and things that I think the audience would have appreciated um, to try to alleviate that <laughs> a little bit uh, boredom, so to speak. I did get the audience involved and I asked them to to help out with the sound effects uh, and to be the crowd. So when the narrator says that the crowd cheers or screams or when you hear footsteps of the, the puffed man of custard, the audience provided those things. Um, even the sound of like uh, the, the proton guns, the audience would, would, would give their best sound effects <laughs> to that. A little fan interaction. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think there would be even more of that when, when we do, uh, if, and when we do the full show, it'd be almost like the blue man group. You'd probably have to give the first few rows of the audience, uh, uh, parkas to wear because, you know, they, they are going to get slimed and goo flown at them and <laughs> all sorts of things. Douse them in delicious custard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, which is, which is the perfect opportunity to ask, have you tried your recipe for custard in the book? Does I, it work? How are, how are you? Um, sorry to sorry to run into, the Shakespeare line is uh, hereditary hereditary sloth instructs me. I apologize for showing up late. I uh, <laughs> I was trying to put the little guy to bed and I passed out. <laughs> so <laughs> that's quite all right. You know, I've been meaning to to cook it. I've been a a lazy cook ever since I discovered Grubhub. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. yes, but uh, but we have English friends in our family, so I should really um, put it to the test and 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 try this proper English. So it's a, it's at least safe enough to try. I, I'm going to try it. Like I'm looking at it, going custard actually sounds really good. 
Yeah. yeah. If what it cools the- down by about 10 degrees here, I think I'll go for it. So. Yeah, like what would the closest thing be in America? Would it be like tiramisu maybe or? Uh, custard, I guess. Pudding. Yeah. Pudding? Oh. Yeah, pudding maybe. Tir- tiramisu has kind of a kind of a custardy element to it, and yeah, vanilla pudding. Mm-hmm. It's very similar in texture to vanilla pudding. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, and I've, I've had it before. I don't know that I've had proper English custard, but I've had stuff labeled custard, and yeah, it was pudding. So mm-hmm. I'm so gonna try. It. Well, yeah, we'll have to have some some test kitchen people. Uh, maybe one of our listeners can uh, do do the recipe and and send you the results and and work it all out. Yeah, there you go. Page one twenty five. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, d- Jordan, did you do the illustration that's on the cover then as well? I did. I did. Um, in fact, a friend of mine just scolded me today and said, "You didn't give yourself credit for that." <laughs> oh, how funny! Yeah, yeah, because it's a wonderful uh, cover. Thank you. Yeah, so the only and the only interior illustrations I did were of um were of uh Sir Slimer and uh and of uh Larry of the King. Lar- or Larry King. <laughs> Larry of the King. Uh, yeah. So all all the rest that you see are, are, are actual historical engravings of, of the time of Shakespeare. Um some of them probably predate Shakespeare, fourteen hundreds, early fifteen hundreds. Um, some of them might have come a little bit after Shakespeare, but they, I, they're all supposed to represent, you know, things that we talked about in, in the play from levitation to, uh, to alchemy and, uh, and, and dog men and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I, well, I, br- I bring it up because you mentioned comic books. I feel like this would lend itself. If you feel like doing an adaptation of your adaptation, uh, doing a graphic novel version of this would be a whole lot of fun, uh, and, and especially when you're mentioning the the steampunk versions of all of the equipment and the the Elizabethan costumes, and would well, be a lot of fun to see. Because uh, I am in the maybe I shouldn't bring it up because we're in the early stages of it, but I am talking to IDW about the possibility of turning it into either a one-off comic graphic novel. Um, Oh my goodness. Look. That's, yep. that's, that's exciting. That's, uh, well, you can, you can say it now because it's the intent. So you have now <laughs> yeah. staked your claim to this is what you are doing and nobody yeah, else did, shall do yeah. so. I did talk to them at, um, I, I spoke to them last year at San Diego comic-con and then we uh, continue the conversation this year. And I guess they, uh, um, have more of a, uh, a rapport now with ghost Corp. So, um, uh, yeah, I would I would love to see it uh, see it drawn out. Um, I mean, I've, uh, as you know, I've done a few few sketches of, of what the characters might look like and uh, and what they would be wearing. So yeah, yeah. What uh, so you mentioned Comic Con? What what is the fan response to this uh, been like? I mean, uh, you you were a Ghostbusters fan in, in Ghostbusters clubs uh, at a young age, but mm-hmm. uh, how how has the community reacted to to your adaptation? Well, it's tricky um, because at Comic Con. Um, you know, if I had a dollar for everyone that took a picture of the Elizabethan proton pack, I, I probably would have made a lot of money. <laughs> um, but the book is something you kind of have to explain to people that, you know, it's, uh, do you like Shakespeare? Yes. Do you like Ghostbusters? Yes. Well, hey, flip through it and, and take a look. Or you might say, do you like Ghostbusters? Yes. Do you like Shakespeare? Not really. Uh... <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it, uh, it it did okay. I actually sold more copies, I think, at uh, the week after um, Comic Con. I did uh, I did Midsummer Scream, which is a Halloween convention down in Long Beach. And right. 
there are people walking around dressed as Ghostbusters there. So, and and also at the Renaissance Fair, you don't really have to explain the joke to people because they no. already yeah. appreciate it and uh, and get it and are are lo- you know love both of those things and an amalgam of the two. So, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, uh, when uh, when the Nerdist did an article, well, first it was IO9 Gizmodo, and then the Nerdist picked up on it. Um, the the sales were really good. Um, oh, that's excellent. So yeah, and a lot of people, and that's that's why I started getting uh, messages or emails from from theater companies that asked to asked to do productions of it. So, and I would love to go on a road trip and see all of them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Where do you know off the top of your head which of the production companies might be doing some yeah, some um, productions? Yeah, one of them is in Toledo, Ohio. Uh, one of them is in Norwich, England, um, and one of them is in. Uh, also got message from someone from Rhode Island, and from the D.C. area, and um, you know some of them just want to do like a fundraiser night where they're just going to do a reading of it, and you know I said of course you know by all means you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna charge you to do that. Sure. Yeah. You know it's only if they're they're gonna do like a, a 12 week run and are charging $30. Yeah. But if it's for charity or a fundraising event yeah. or, or something, yeah, that's uh, for, for a good cause. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The group in England, um, uh, have, has mentioned maybe even bringing it to the Edinburgh fringe festival, which is, uh, really like the, the mother of all fringe festivals. And, uh, having not been to Scotland myself, that would be the, the perfect opportunity to, to go over there. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, what uh, what are you working on now? What's what's next for you? Are you are you sticking to Shakespearean adaptations now, or are you going to venture into something else? It's well, Ghostbusters too. You can you can tell us it's Ghostbusters too. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. We wouldn't mind if that was the case. Well, it's funny because uh, is it Peter McNichol who played Janos in Ghostbusters? Yes. Too? Yeah. That's yeah. Right, yes. He just gave us a shout out uh, on Twitter, which I thought was very nice um, to the production company in England that's uh, that's that's doing the show. Um, so I thought that was that was uh, super nice of him because you know I, I don't I reference Ghostbusters two very briefly at the end of of this book, um, but I don't I don't talk about Janos in it. So so yeah, I guess that would be um, the uh, the obvious choice. But I do kind of like the idea of doing Wizard of Oz because it's very much like uh, the Tempest and it's very much like um, like Twelfth Night. You know, you have this mythical island and there's a, a wizard uh who has spirits and uh i think it could be fun but again you know the the ghostbusters took about six months to to translate i think the next book i do is probably just going to be like an easy art book yeah right no, no words it's just going to be just pages of art um because that you don't have to explain to people like they they pick it up and they see it and they right yeah. Well, I'll, I'll plant the idea in your head, but Vigo the Carpathian lends himself very well to Shakespeare, for one, uh-huh. and he also kind of dresses like Hamlet, doesn't he? <laughs> so, you know, you well, could, could have some yeah. fun with that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a little bit like Richard III, too, you know? <laughs> you know, Venkman could, could make fun of his hump. The <laughs> giant hump true. on your back. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, uh, Chris, anything that we haven't uh, touched on uh, that you that you wanted to ask Jordan while we've got him? Sure, I got. It's. I think I kind of understand the answer, but I kind of wanted to to hear it from you a bit. And that's 
obviously this is being presented as, as as Shakespeare wrote it, so you keep it in London. But did you ever toy with the idea that it might have been in New Amsterdam? Because there there is a small window of overlap that you could have gone that way and kept it quote unquote New York. There is, there is. Yeah, when I when I got the news that I was going to New York Comic Con, I posted that I was going to the ministers were going to New Amsterdam. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I did. I did consider that brief. You know, I think there's actually more plays written by William Shakespeare that are set in Italy than are even set in England. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny that way, or 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 Spain for that matter, or Scotland. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> in London at that time, there were never, there weren't really any tall buildings. So like when they're walking up, like, tell me when we get to the top, I'm going to throw up. You know, the tallest <laughs> building was probably the Tower of London. <laughs> I, think, I think they probably could have done it. They're you know? very out of shape, though. I mean, <laughs> they're very out of shape. They're like, we're talking maybe, I mean, the inn where they catch Slimer, it's like, uh, you know, what floor is it? It's the only floor above this floor. <laughs> I think maybe they had two or three floors tops back in Tudor, England. Um, and I could be wrong about that. I, I brush up my my Tudor architecture, but um, but no, that would be fun. And you know what? I think I think it might lend itself better to to the Wizard of Oz because I would set it as if she is heading to the New World. Uh, the Virginia, the Jamestown colony, maybe even Roanoke Island, and the, yeah. <laughs> the twister that that hits them is not on the farm; it's on the high seas, and so she's shipwrecked. Like so many Shakespearean plays, at least two or three start with a shipwreck, and she wakes up. She just like in Twelfth Night, she wakes up and she says to some, you know, uh, Native American or Munchkin <laughs> or a combination. Yeah. The two, uh, you know, what country friend is this? And she says, "Oh, this is this is Oz, my lady." And so when she when she wakes up, she's she's in Virginia. So, well, frankly, I I, I hope you do enough of these that you can turn it into some sort of small pop culture Shakespeare library. Because I I yeah, just don't stop, just keep going. <laughs> um, well, that'd be fine. Don't take a break. Yeah, uh, that was about it. Like I said, I, I was pretty sure I knew the answer to the like when I first opened the book. I was like, London. New Amsterdam, surely, and then I went. Well, yes, okay, this makes a bit more sense. But yeah, I quickly forgave you of what I, I thought was a uh, a hideous oversight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many buildings they they had uh, on the island of Manhattan at that time. No, that's true. I um, uh, it, well, whatever. What can I say? I, I have no defense for the fact that I'm a big enough nerd that I was prepared to fight you over some small detail of a movie that had been uh, transposed into Shakespeare like cuz that's just what nerds do but uh <laughs> no uh, i uh, uh yeah it hasn't changed i've gone back to it a couple of times since i first picked it up and and Troy will attest that i was a giggly mess through the entire episode that we talked about it because it's just it just tickles me to the bo- takes me back to high school and i wish i wish i was in high school now cuz i i would i would like grab this with both hands and insist that the drama department be uh, staging it. So, oh, thank you. Um, well, so Jordan, uh, you self-published this book, right? This is this is your own print. I did. This is kind of a first for me. Um, yeah, I did. I did shop it around, but uh, uh, my my patience was thin. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you got to do it I'm yourself. Gonna, yeah, 
I'm just gonna do it myself, damn it. I mean, I did I did approach the same um, uh, publisher as the uh, William Shakespeare Star Wars, but kind of the response was, you know, we've been there, done that. Mm, gotcha. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah. I, I bring it up because so I did mention at the top of the show uh, Amazon and Kindle, but what what's the best way for people to purchase this so that we make sure that uh, it is going directly to you for self-publishing this work? Yes. Uh, well, Amazon right now is um, is the only place uh, unless you see me at a convention. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, you can follow me on uh, on Instagram at jmonsell. Uh, like I said, I'll be at New York Comic Con, and you know I'll bring copies of the book. Like if you really want a, a copy signed by me or, or meet me in person, then I'll be at New York Comic Con this October. I'll be um, coming up. I'll be out in Palm Springs, and then up in Rose City Comic Con in September, which is in Portland, Oregon. Um, and uh, yeah, and then at Amazon. Excellent. And and you have uh, what's your website too, Jordan? Is you post all of your uh, events and all of that news uh, on your website as well? You know, I should. <laughs> uh, my website is just jordanmonsell.com, but it's mostly my art. Oh, okay. Uh, there there's a there's a little blurb there about the book. Um, but people can reach me on uh, on Facebook and uh, and of course uh, Instagram. I'm a really bad Twitter user. I I, I don't really <laughs> follow up on that that is that is a-okay we'll we'll do our best to keep in touch with you and uh keep apprised of all of your signings and appearances and things like that so we can let everybody know here on the show too so that hopefully they they can catch up with you and vice versa and they'll be able to get a a chance to buy a signed copy from you because that's that's where it's at guys you got to get a signed copy from jordan oh and if you are living in los angeles there are a few stores that sell it uh uh in uh in the burbank area so Uh, uh, creature features right Creature Features and uh, Bearded Lady uh, um, Mystic Museum, which is uh, just down the street from uh, Creature Features. Excellent. Yep. Yeah, highly highly recommend both. I know, Chris, you're a fan, especially of Creature Features as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, Jordan, thanks again for taking so much time and, and talking to us here. And, uh, it was my pleasure. Ha- we have to recommend the book. You guys have to go pick this up. Ministers of Grace uh, at, at Amazon or uh, at any of the appearances that Jordan has mentioned. We'll also post up some some dates and stuff on our, our show notes for you guys so that you know where he'll be and when but uh, jordan thanks thanks again absolutely thanks again for having me on Who you gonna call? We thanks for joining the ghostbusters interdimensional crossrip visit us at protoncharging.com ghostbustershq.net and stillplayingwithtoys.net you're gonna be one of my two favorite shows you're kidding me oh great what was the other one Bassmasters. it's a fishing show Everything you're doing is bad. You truly scare me. I want you to know this. Next week, though, Careless Pets. Weird.